The University of New England is embarking on a bold new mission to transform the university's decommissioned boiler house into a purpose-built discovery space. Here, on Curiosity Built the Boiler House, we'll follow the transformation of this 1950s industrial building into a regional science-themed play space. Along the way, we'll also chat with leading experts in education, play-based design, and all things STEAM about what makes for an incredible discovery space experience. I'm Dr. James O'Hanlon, and for this episode, I sat down with Naomi Blakey, the Cultural Collections Officer for Tamworth Regional Council. the first city in the southern hemisphere to have um, municipally funded electric street lighting. That's the main starting point but we then explore absolutely anything you can think of where we as humans have essentially continued to evolve our use of electricity in the everyday. So you have domestic use, you have commercial use, uh, anything you can think of and we've got a massive collection that tells those stories. I spoke to Naomi about one of Tamworth's local historical attractions, the Power Station Museum. The Power Station Museum documents the history of electrical innovation and celebrates Tamworth's history as a hub for regional innovation. There's several rooms through the museum which are still the same shape and size as they would have been in 1888. And you'll even see, usually at the end of your tour, uh, the actual same type of steam engines that ran the street lighting in 1888 as well, which is really incredible. On your standard day when you come down to see us, uh, each room has a different theme. So the first room you go into is our discovery room. Um, So on the wall, we have all the different um, notable uh, scientists of the time um, with a little bit of a brief description about what they achieved. So you have things like Michael Faraday and um, you're able to discuss a bit of his career and how interesting it was and just how committed he was to the cause. Um, And then as you work your way along the wall, you'll see a few more people who you would recognise. So your Edison, Tesla. Um, And then we even have at the very end one of our little celebrities from Tamworth, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, So Vincent Guy Cable. So he was quite an incredible man. Uh, Without his work and being the youngest town clerk in Tamworth um, and one of the first electrical engineers in Tamworth as well, uh, he was able to essentially help provide electricity to those wider areas in Tamworth, which is great. So your little outskirt towns like Manila and Corindai. He's just our own little local celebrity that we can celebrate in there as well. Then you move along to the commemorative room and that celebrates everything to do with um, the 9th of November 1888 when Tamworth first got street lighting. Uh, So a real notable piece there which you definitely have to see and you won't miss is we've got an exact replica of the key that turned it on in 19 in 1888 Uh, so we were able to get that made just before the opening of the museum on the 9th of November 1988 so 100 years um, after which is really really fascinating. Uh, Then you pop into our battery room and that celebrates everything domestic literally every time I walk in there with any tour group or even any of our volunteers, there's always someone that says, oh, I remember that, I remember my grandma. Oh, we had one of those in our first home. Um, Once you pop through there, you go into the entertainment room, uh, 
and that just celebrates everything entertainment. So great thing about that room is you can kind of see the evolution of how we started to use technology and electricity for our own entertainment. So we start off having one of the really big, beautiful wirelesses still working and it moves around so you have your record players and also kind of your record player built in with your radio um, and then through to your televisions. Um, And I think one of the depressing points for me is there's now a VHS in there and I remember using that when I was a child. So um, it's a great little piece. And then the end of your tour, you get to see our Fowler steam engines. It might come as a surprise to a lot of people that Tamworth was the first place in Australia to have municipal electric street lighting in 1888. To put that in perspective, the first electric street lights were installed in Paris in 1877. Sydney didn't have electric street lighting until 1904, 16 years after Tamworth. And it all comes down to some enthusiastic council members, including a local tanner called Alderman Smith, who had seen electric street lighting overseas and knew that this was something his hometown needed to have. It was down to the council of the time, but it was one particular member um, who really had that investment. He'd heard about it in London and I believe he'd actually already popped over and seen it. And the discussion was coming up about the gas contracts of the time. So the council was sitting there trying to work out whether we go gas, do we go something else, what other options are there. The gas is getting quite expensive. Um, and in the end, it boiled down to, there was always a little bit of politics in there, as there always is, but um, boiled down to looking at street lighting and it being essentially an affordable and a bit of a way forward. So um, the 9th of November every year is the anniversary of when the street lights first turned on. So they were turned on in 1888 by the mayoress of the time. So she was the wife of the mayor, uh, Elizabeth Piper. So it was an event that was done at night so that they could really showcase the effect that the street lighting had. Um, the electric street lights were replacing what was a gas street light system. Had Elizabeth Piper turned it on with the beautiful little key that you'll see when you come. And all the lights were turned on. And then they celebrated with a race, like a running race, which was done at one of the local ovals. And at that point, the electric street lights also connected up through to the oval lights as well. So I believe someone was one of the volunteers did a bit of research. And he was saying it was actually one of the first races under electric, electric lighting as well. So... And something I always love to say, it always gets a little bit of a giggle, but they were all um, quite low-lit lamps, except for there were three or four Compton Arc lamps, which are an incredibly bright, really white light. Um, And some of the gentlemen had the hide to complain that the women looked too pale when those lights were turned on. So, yeah. Always a bit ironic when, at the time, being pale was a, a very beautiful thing to be, so maybe they were too beautiful that shocked the gentleman too much. I'm not too sure. In the history of Tamworth, I mean, now we're very, very well known for country music capital, but before we got to that point, we actually had an annual City of Light festival, and it was a really big event. 
um, for the town and that was held annually um, in celebration and it was something that literally the whole town got behind. Like it, it was bigger than just your country fair. People would travel to it and there was um, street parades on. They did a lot of different things which actually are quite kind of similar in some ways to the Country Music Festival. I guess there's only some different events you can hold which um, you can't not copy. So, yeah, street parade and always had something really big on to just celebrate that anniversary because it's you wouldn't think a country town like Tamworth would beat everyone else. But, yeah. <laughs> in chatting with Naomi, we got to thinking about how ubiquitous electricity is in our daily lives and how hard it is to imagine a life without it. I wanted to know whether she thought electricity was something that we all have started to take for granted. I think we do a lot because it is it's there you think it's in the background you don't realize that you need it for everything until you have something like a blackout which look depending on where you live doesn't happen there very often anymore uh something which really stood out for me when i first started volunteering at the museum originally four years ago was all around the museum from probably i think they're like dated around the 1940s just looking at the style uh heaps of um, what would you call them? Kind of like safety posters. So ones that just would have been made to go around town in a kind of supermarket, anywhere you're buying anything. And it's just highlighting the safety aspects of electricity. And I think it's because it's always been something that you can't necessarily see unless you go and see a show with a Tesla coil or you see a Jacob's ladder and you can see those big beams of electricity. Um, you don't realize how dangerous it is. I think now we do because we understand it a lot more. But back when it was becoming more of a household thing and it was slowly getting bought in to older houses and if you had a new house, you were lucky enough to have it actually built into your walls, it was, yeah, invisible. So you didn't realise that if you cut a cord while it was plugged into your PowerPoint that it would shock you. It was just, oh, no, just like cutting a piece of string. So I think because... We've gone past that period of learning about the dangers and where it is. We're now at a point where it is every day. I use a laptop every day for work. Um, I go home, I've got my iPad. If I need to cook, I have to use an electric oven or my microwave. It's it's everywhere. (laughs) Even when just a child comes through with the family, I think they're always just absolutely amazed at the fact that it has developed. It's not something where it is the here and now, like these days for young children, um, especially with schooling now. I know a lot of them are starting to you, – you have an iPad and that's what you take to school. You haven't got a book anymore. So the fact that our learning all the way through to adulthood is still very electric-based, um, I think it amazes them to see how far we've come and what we used to do. And I guess it's very similar to when you go to those social history museums and you see an old kind of great board and you're like oh that's what women used to take down to the river and wash their clothes I think even seeing some of the washing machines and the domestic pieces we have are still a bit of a shock to their system Um, for example we've got a hot point iron and it's it's an electric iron it's not steam quite yet but it's still really heavy and compared to these days you would not imagine wanting to ever press down that kind of iron you'd it'd be a pain so I think the kids get a lot out of it because they're able to see how far we've come 
But I also think a lot of those older individuals who come through with that retrospect look back and it just brings back a lot of those memories that they had, whether it was of growing up or whether it was literally I'm a newlywed and this is my first house and we got our first washing machine and you have all those firsts and those lovely stories. So I think between them they both have their points of who gets what out of it, but they're definitely different perspectives. The Power Station Museum is more than just a local tourist attraction. It's a hub for community involvement and a place to share local stories. The collection itself has grown from donated materials, and the museum is almost entirely volunteer-run. In fact, Naomi herself began her career working as a Power Station Museum volunteer. Yep, so four years ago when I moved to Tamworth, um, I think I came up the year before and I visited the museum and was on a tour with this gentleman who um, sadly had to move away, so he can't volunteer anymore. Um, But yeah, three hours later, I left the museum absolutely fascinated with everything inside of it. And so when I moved to the area, I wanted to ensure that I could stay in the industry, keep my knowledge there, but also um, help with a fantastic site and keep it open for the community. So started volunteering there on weekends um, when I could, which was really great. And yeah, it's just amazing the amount of people that we get through, all the different walks of life they're from, and just they all leave and they're like, I didn't expect that. And I think that's the that's a really key thing. The um, Power Station uh, Museum is owned and operated by Tamworth Regional Council, but the day-to-day um, running and operations of the site could not be done without our volunteer team. So um, they cater for all the tours. So we're open Wednesday to Saturday, 9 to 1, and we usually have two to three volunteers available for all of those dates. Um, So that enables them to be able to take visitors around so they can really hear those stories and get really involved with the collection. Then we've also got a group of steam engine drivers as well, and they volunteer their time to keeping our steam engines ready to go. So um, only one of our steam engines is able to work because we do have to have it inspected by a boiler inspector every year. So they keep that one up and running, ready to go, make any amendments they do need to do to keep ensure that it is safe so that we can run it every at least once a year. Most of the time it is a couple. Um, so we can really demonstrate to everyone what they would have been like, what the noise would have been like, what the heat would have been like, how that steam was produced, which then generated that electricity for us to have street lights first before it then developed into things like into your house, into commercial addresses and everything like that. Um, and then we also have a oh, getting bigger, which is great, um, a couple of volunteers who tend to split their time between giving tours, but they also help with the collection management. So we have a massive collection and we've recently um, transitioned our collection management system from onto eHive, which is an online platform, which is really great because it means, um, yeah, people like yourself, James, they're able to pop on and see pictures and items within our collection. Yeah, the collection in itself has grown a lot um, since 1988. There was quite a firm base already. Um, There was a smaller variant of the museum, which was actually located in the council chambers of the time in Ray Walsh House, um, which is also on on Peel Street. Um, The museum as a whole kind of uh, did move around from owners 
a few times and I believe it was North Star or one of the energy companies at the time um, owned it and then it got put back into the council in the area's kind of jurisdiction and it was getting close to the 100 year anniversary and I believe a suggestion came forward about why don't we make it bigger we know there's people who do want to donate some more items but just having this smaller room isn't really catering for that and so then a plan was put forward because the original site where the museum is now it wasn't in use um it did need a little bit of work so it had to have a bit of tlc done to it to get it restored um to what we've got today so the building itself that was restored is the same building and same shape and same size that was opened in 1988. Um, They were able to do a little bit of archaeological work as well around where we've got the steam engines. Um, So that's really great. We were able to record kind of that bit of unseen history. And, yeah, so from there, now what we've worked on and what a lot of the volunteer team have worked on is essentially the displays. So um, before it was a lot of items that were out in the open, they weren't really protected or locked away. Um, And then over the years, we've just had um, some of our volunteer team who are really, really handy build these beautiful display cabinets that we now have along all the walls. And so you can see everything. It's all lovely and neat you can have it up a bit higher than where we were before there are a few items which um couldn't quite get lifted up on the smaller plinths that they had um which has then enabled us to have more collection on display so you're able to see a lot which is really wonderful the majority of the collection has been donated um we've been really lucky i guess people come we get a lot of um Travellers who come through Tamworth were a bit of a stopover point between that Sydney-Brisbane route, uh, depending on which way you want to go up. And so we have a lot of visitors who come in and they'll see, they'll be like, oh, my goodness, this is incredible. And then they'll keep us in the back of their mind, especially when you have a few of those shed clear-outs or anything like that. And um, so that's where we get a lot of our items from. Um, We do also have some really good relationship with a few collectors in Australia as well who have um, dedicated a lot of their life and their careers to um, building up their collection. So one is um, Finn Stewart. He's quite a big collector that we've had a relationship with and we have a lot of his light bulb collection and it is massive. Like we've got it on display but we haven't got all of it at all. And so by having those relationships it's able mean meant we're able to ensure that we kind of have those items that really are quite notable as well um and i guess because we do also cater for a fair bit of that kind of back-end social history with your domestic pieces um a lot of people have that when they do do clear outs and they have a story that goes with it which is what is one of the most important parts of collecting you need to know anything you can about the object and then if it is there also are like you've got your historically significant pieces as well where you know that that is an item of rarity but if you have something say a specific type of toaster yeah that's incredible but if you're able to tell a story about the farmer's wife who used this literally every day for all of their children and it was still working when it came or um it's better at 
cooking crumpets than toast. Like they're just those little anecdotes that you don't hear and you don't see. So you need to conserve that history. Tamworth Regional Council is in the process of digitising as many of their cultural collections as possible by making their collections accessible on eHive, an online catalogue for recording and sharing museum collections across the globe. I got chatting with Naomi about the massive task of putting all their collections online. I also wanted to know whether this transition to online has helped the museum navigate the challenges they've faced throughout COVID lockdowns. So we've we've had to close um, and many museums are still closed at this point in time. Um, Our volunteer teams across the board are mainly older, older individuals, so they are at higher risk. So no matter what, it's safety first. Um, So we've had to close great news is we've actually been able to do a lot of collection management work which is really good you've got to look at those positives uh, so it's been a great time to move on to eHive for a lot of the collections um, so at the moment we're now open by appointment only for the power station and the country music hall of fame the wax museum and the guitar museum they're open with the visitor information center um, and then Kalala Cottage, which is run through the Tamworth Historical Society, they're now open, I believe it's Friday, Saturdays at this point. So just starting to get back to that, not so much normal, but at least being open to the public so that people can come through. But it's also seeing like, what is the next step? Do we open up permanently? Is there a need for that? Are we able to facilitate it? and going from there. And I guess we've been really lucky because we are in a regional area and the period at which there was COVID in the area has been gone for a fair while. So you're still knowing you have to be cautious because you do have people travelling through and you don't know where they're from. But at the same time, you know, you feel relatively safe, but you have to still have it at the back of your mind about, yeah, who may be visiting and how you can protect everyone. Um, So, yeah, so the power station, so that was when I came on board. It was like a couple of weeks later that that transitioned online and that was going ahead anyway, even before COVID was a thing. Um, But I believe for Gil Bennett and Chris Bowman, which we've now got online as well, we were actually able to do those a little bit quicker because... We did have that time to sit down and pop all the data into the spreadsheet that was needed to do the transfer, which, again, demonstrates how unglamorous a lot of this catalogue work is. Like, it is very yeah, spreadsheet-based. you just got to check all your information. And when you're looking at some collections with, like, thousands of items like the power station, it's a big job. So um, we've still got other collections that we will be putting online, um, covid I guess it's helped because it's given us a little bit more time to go through it. So our next collection to go online will be the Country Music Wax Museum. Um, So hoping to get that done by 1st of October, all things going well. And then that'll be followed by the Australian Country Music Hall of Fame collection as well. So, um, yeah, but I guess what COVID's kind of shown with moving these collections online is that that's a great way for people to be able to see the collections, even if they're not able to leave their homes at the moment. I took the opportunity to look at the online collections of the Paris Station Museum and saw a whole lot of weird things, like electric cauterizers from 1950 or an electrotherapy machine from 1902. When I chatted to Naomi, I had to ask her about something in particular that caught my eye. I had to know what on earth is Dr. Scott's electric flesh brush? 
Yeah, so that one's really fascinating, actually. I love talking about this one. So you picked a good one. Um, the, in the Victorian era, we were absolutely fascinated with static electricity and from that developed a whole range of items that they could sell based off static to people for various health, beauty benefits. So the flush brush um, you use on your hair, it had a massive amount of um, abilities. So if you were losing your hair, it would help your hair grow back. Um, my personal belief is just that it made your current hair look so static and frizzy that it looked like you grew more hair. It apparently fixed dandruff. So again, I don't know whether it's because the bristles are so hard that it just completely <laughs> destroyed your scalp. Um, and it also helped provide glossy locks as well. So they were able to sell it to individuals who were balding, um, those with hair troubles, and then probably every woman in the UK at that point. Um, so, yeah, as I said, there was a whole range. There was even something like if there was an electric corset. We haven't got an example of that. I've just got an old ad. Um, we had electric shoes. So they were just men's shoes with plates on the bottom. And I think it was just that you'd walk on the ground, it create fix friction, you get a shock in your foot. And the whole aim of that was that you'll never get cold feet again. So we had some pretty incredible minds working in the background on different kind of things they could sell. Having spent years running tours of the Paris Station Museum and now managing its collections, I wanted to know what this experience has taught Naomi about learning from the past. And I was surprised to hear that despite all the gadgets and all the technological innovations electricity has given us, what history really teaches us is that it's people that matter and the connections we make with them, be they virtual or otherwise. Yeah, I think the great thing about history and studying history is I think the aim of it at the end of the day is that, yes, you should be trying to learn where you can. Um, there are some things that just an individual can't do, but... I think something that a lot of people comment on and it's kind of resonated a little bit with me now is just when you look at things like the wirelesses and that entertainment room, how much do we put on entertainment now compared to what we did? Um, and I think people are starting to learn that, look, as great as being entertained 24-7 is, it's not the be all and end all. And I think that's a really good kind of lesson to take away from when you go through the museum and you hear all those stories. Um, and I guess it's probably resonated with me a bit further because we've, um, uh, on a personal note, moved into a new development about two years ago and more recently more families have come about. And it just amazes me that I've never really seen the kids inside, they're always outside and they're all playing together. And to me, I think that's an absolutely wonderful thing to know that we're getting kind of back, we're relearning from you go outside, you play, you enjoy it, you spend that time with people, you communicate and just going from there. So I think that's a really big lesson that I think we can learn from the past and it's purely from the fact that we've gotten to a point where we've designed everything where it's so big, it's so all-encompassing and it's just something that everyone needs and has to have and that's just how it's been marketed and we've kind of, depending on who you are, believed it in one way or another. So, yeah, I think that's something that's really fascinated me in terms of just watching. If you're interested in volunteering for the Paris Station Museum, 
or maybe you'd like to donate some old appliances you think might be historical gems hidden in your back shed, you can get in touch with the museum through the contact form on their website, tamworthpowerstationmuseum.com.au. On their website, you can also find out more about their collections and view some of the collections through their eHive online catalogue. This podcast has been brought to you by the University of New England and UNE Discovery. To find out more about the Boiler House Discovery Space, visit uneboilerhouse.org.au. Thanks for listening. We'll see you here next time on Curiosity Built the Boiler House. Boiler House.